Welcome to the Contending for Christ Apologetics Podcast, where Danny seeks to empower believers to defend their faith. This fight is internal, defending against false teachings that are creeping into the church as well as our hearts and minds. It is also external, with believers needing to know how they can solidify and defend their beliefs. So sit back and relax as we contend for Christ. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I thank you for checking out this ministry and just the apologetics channel as a whole. There are a lot of apologetic channels out there, a lot of theological channels out there. So the fact that you're checking this one out, uh, it just means a lot to me. I thank you for tuning in. If you've subscribed, I appreciate your subscription because that'll let you know of the recent episodes and once they get dropped on every Monday or Thursday or whatever the case is so that you can stay tuned, stay abreast to what this ministry has going for it. Uh, we do want to go ahead and take a break. I know you're probably getting tired of hearing the words coming out of this mouth. And so today I have a very uh, special guest on with me. I've had him on before. I didn't get any flack from any of y'all in the past of having him on previously. So uh, I take that to say that you guys don't mind him, but he's a really great guy. He's a great pastor and he's a good friend of mine that, you know, I've known for quite quite a few amount of years. And he's the pastor of Carmel Baptist Church. He's actually the host and the founder of the Berean Dialogue podcast. So if you haven't checked it out yet, go ahead and make sure you check it out. But uh, Pastor Russ, I thank you for being on the channel. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. It's a pleasure, like always. So can you uh, just give a little bit about yourself as far as the ministry at Carmel, what the Berean Dialogue is, and uh, just really how you got into all that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been the pastor of Carmel Baptist Church in Mansfield, Louisiana, for over three years now. It's been a learning experience uh, as well as a blessing to me and my family. I've learned more about the Bible, uh, about the Lord, about Jesus Christ, and uh, how to just love on other people uh, in the past three years than I have had probably in the the remaining part of my life outside of the ministry. I really do appreciate God allowing me to, to take part in that ministry and to call me into uh, the ministry of preaching. But another thing that I do is, as you mentioned, the Berean Dialogues. It's found on CastBox, iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts. Uh, what it is, what I attempt to do is interview people uh, concerning specific subjects. I try to Instead of having two opposing views on at the same time and allowing them to debate and argue, what I do is I separate the two completely into two opposite episodes where I'll have one person on, they'll explain their view and why they believe what they believe, and it's really uh, it's non-confrontational, there's not a lot of uh, animosity and strife involved so i, I kind of eliminated that aspect of it so you just get a person's clear thoughts i try to ask tough questions and get to the bottom of why they believe what they believe and then on the next episode i'll have somebody on who holds the the opposite view and give them the the chance to answer some what i try to present uh to be tough questions concerning their view i try to poke holes in every view and uh and give them the opportunity to share why they believe what they believe. And it's been an interesting ride so far. I've really enjoyed it. Um, but if y'all want to, you can check me out at the Berean Dialogues um, podcast. Wonderful. Thanks for us. Yeah, the Berean Dialogues, it's, it's amazing how you're able to take some theology and just 
allow people to express what they believe and why they believe it. One thing I've learned in ministry is the fact that people tend to regurgitate or online they're just copy and paste theologians where they just don't really understand uh, what they truly believe. And they're just really uh, articulating a position that they've heard somebody else say that they think sounds good. I know as one that's done debates in the past, your ability to just allow these individuals to express opposing views apart from debating each other it gives a lot of liberty as far as the freedom that they want to say as well as uh, really gives them the ability to fully explain without being caught out with different fallacies or being caught out of ignorance or whatever the case is just to give a reason for their belief and so i know that's a pretty interesting uh, channel you have how you actually weave the two opposing views on opposite spectrums is really fascinating so if you haven't checked out the Breen Dialogues, like I said, make sure you get out there and check it out. As far as today's episode, if you can't tell by the title, we're going to be talking about the occult, occultism. It's no hidden secret that New Age has been creeping into the church for, well, many, many years now, and it's getting worse and worse. And I've heard one pastor, one of my favorite pastors, say that when Jesus Christ first began his earthly ministry, demonic possession and demonic activity was on the rise. It was probably the highest that we're aware of in history. And now we're seeing the ret the eventual, not eventual rise, but the growing rise of demonic possession and demonic activity as well now. And we know in the book of Revelation that demonic activity is going to be very much prevalent. And so it really begs the question on, how soon is Jesus Christ going to return? If you trace history in his earthly ministry, and then we look at what's happening in the world today and just the inception of New Age, occultism, astral projection, uh, stuff like the Ouija board, Ouija writers, just the focus on the paranormal, how close is it? And so today we're going to re really look at what is occultism. We're going to look at it from not only just the side of the occult, but also from a theological side. And what does God's word have to say? So I thank you for being here, Russ, to talk about this. First question I have for you, can you actually define what occult is, what it means, and just go into a little bit of depth on what it is, really? Yeah, absolutely. So the word occult <clears throat> comes from a Latin word that means hidden. Um, I think BibleStudy.org has a good definition. It gives what they believe the biblical definition is. And I quote, Biblically, the occult is any practice that tries to gain supernatural power, abilities, or knowledge apart from the Creator God, end quote. I think that's a really good explanation. It's hidden knowledge. It's mysterious knowledge. It, if you, When you think of the occult, just for those who are listening who may not even know what it is, it's any type of witchcraft, sorcery, uh, fortune-telling, horoscopes, all those types of things that the Bible clearly condemns uh, as far as trying to gain knowledge or power outside of the Creator God. And as Christians, I want to speak to Christians here for a minute, we, should, we shouldn't have any desire to gain knowledge or power or anything outside of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he's all-sufficient. He the, the amount of knowledge that is found in Christ and in his word far surpasses any of that. So we just, we really want to stay away from that kind of thing. But, so with the occult, <clears throat> that's basically what the word means. Biblically, that's what it's defined to be. Now, there are people who knowingly 
and openly um, they 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 practice occult teachings and practice occult practices and w like I said before it's witchcraft it's sorcery it's casting spells it's divination it's you know believing that crystals have healing powers all burning sage to like ward off evil spirits all that kind of, uh, of stuff can it falls under the umbrella of the occult and there are people who there's like a just like there's the body of Christ where there's believers everywhere you go everywhere you go there are people whether you know it or not there are people who are into the occult they're into witchcraft they're into Wicca they're into all that kind of stuff and it's becoming more and more um, open it used to be a thing that was hidden not so much anymore but anyway I think that Bible.org really does a good job in defining it biblically again I want to read that definition one more time and it's I quote biblically the occult is any practice that tries to gain supernatural power abilities or knowledge apart from the creator God end quote I think that's a really good definition awesome thanks I love that definition because I like the fact where it says that it's a practice that tries to gain and so there's a methodology that they employ to try to get some sort of knowledge that otherwise they would not be able to uh, have or gain is going to going to a question that i'm going to have here in a little bit for you but as far as occultism in the rise into the church and into america could you explain or elaborate how you believe occultism rose and how it actually crept into the church yeah i really find this question to be uh really interesting the more i thought about it and as i was uh, trying to think of a good answer so I want to start off by saying this wherever there are large groups of human beings there will be those that are involved in the occult whenever you have large groups of human beings there's always going to be certain people that are involved in the occult so if you go all the way back to the founding of America and you take the the groups of people that were coming here from other countries the the chances are it's more than probable more than likely that there were people mixed in amongst them who practiced the occult who were involved in the occult back in the early days as i mentioned briefly earlier um earlier on it was probably well not probably it was more well hidden and not really spoken about because of the the consequences of those types of things back then uh not only would people be out uh, you know shunned by society but a lot of times they were hung or burned at the stake and there were there were some pretty dire consequences to be uh if you were caught being involved in any type of witchcraft or or the occult so they hid it uh because their lives basically depended on it now with that being said Another aspect of occultism that I want to I want to preface my answer by saying this because this this is all relevant information. Uh, another aspect of, of the occult or witchcraft and sorcery that a lot of people don't really understand or care to acknowledge is drug use. Um, we can get into that later if you want, uh, but I do want to mention that the word sorcery found in the Book of Revelation uh, it's I, I, I might not be pronouncing this correctly, but it's pharmakia or pharmakai. It, 
it is where we get our word pharmacy from. And whenever you look at the stories like around Halloween when you see a witch and what's she doing? She's like making this special brew, this potion. She's adding these different ingredients. And because of this potion, she's able to like control people or gain this or gain that through this concoction that she's made. And and this all ties back to drug use and sorcery and, and things like that. The main issue with drug use is this. When you open, uh, when you take certain drugs, they open up your mind to spiritual influences. When you, when you take, well, for, for instance, and this may not be a popular opinion, but it is what it is. Marijuana, uh, magic mushrooms, uh, any kind of psychedelics, those types of things for sure um, have the potential to open up your mind to demonic influence and demonic attack. You don't want anything to do with that. That's why I believe that the word sorcery is tied to the word where we get our word pharmacy from. Um, so that's another thing. Another another thing, a lot of people are like, well, I've never practiced witchcraft. I've never been involved in the occult. I've never done this. I've never done that. Well, you also take into the account that many people have played with a Ouija board. It's the same thing. You're trying to gain knowledge <laughs> apart from the Creator God. And that's what the Ouija board is. You're asking it questions. You're trying to figure out this, figure out that. So, yeah, it is witchcraft. It's not just some little harmless, fun game. It may You may think that it is, but it, it's really not. Uh, so if you factor in <clears throat> that... In many of the people, many if you factor all that in, many people are either knowingly or unknowingly involved in the occult to some degree. As far as the church goes, that, that depends on how you look at it and how, what do you define the church to be. If you consider, for instance, Roman Catholics to be part of the church, then it goes way, way back. Um, when they started mixing idolatry and paganism um, with Christianity. And if you if you trace it all the way back then, that's that's goes as far back as you as you care to take it, um, all the way up to like Constantine and things like that. But if you consider if you consider the church just to be um, American Christianity, and that's and that's what you really want to look at. Uh, I will preface this part of my answer by saying this: that witchcraft is listed as a work of the flesh in Galatians five. So, if you have flesh, then you have the potential to fall into the sin of witchcraft. It's there even amongst true believers, the true church. It is listed among other things like strife and drunkenness and idolatry, which we may consider to be more commonplace than witchcraft, and yet there it is, witchcraft, in that list. Um, we know that idolatry, um, the sin of covetousness, falls under the the uh, sin of idolatry. Anytime you put anything before God in your heart or in your life, um, that is idolatry. And if anything takes the place of God, you're worshiping that as an idol. Um, so a lot of people commit idolatry um, without even really, I guess, considering it to the, in, the, in their own heart to be idolatry because they're not bowing down and worshiping a statue. Yet we commit the sin of idolatry all the time. Um I want I want to say this in in 1 Samuel 15:23 it says for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So 
even <laughs> if you take that into consideration. So to God, whose opinion is the only one that truly matters, to him, rebellion is just like witchcraft. And so you have to ask yourself the question, how often has the church been in rebellion against God? But if you're talking about, again, American Christianity, and I think this is where you're really asking the question, uh, I think if you were to look into some of the more extreme branches of the charismatic movement and the ecumenical movement, you'll find that there are cult-like trappings within their doctrines and practices. Um, universalism, humanism, speaking things into existence like the name it and claim it type of thing, uh, all that is can be traced back to... Uh, and you can see the the parallels and the similarities with occult teachings and practices. For instance, when somebody casts casts a spell within witchcraft or whatever, it takes the the human will and intent, and you try to do this little ritual or whatever it is to try to bring about and manifest this thing that you want to to be into reality. And you'll find a lot of that in the in a lot of uh, charismatic circles where instead of truly trusting in God and going to God in prayer, for example, if I wanted uh, God to really bless me uh, financially or to help me in my finances, as a Christian, I would go to God and I would say something along the lines of, God, you see my situation, you know where I'm at financially, Please help me to be content with the things that you've given me. But I do want to ask, Lord, if it's in your will, if you wouldn't mind blessing me financially. Father, give me favor in the eyes of the people that I work with. Help me, help, uh, help me have better work ethics so that I can get a raise at work. In, in, in Jesus' name, amen. Something along those lines to where I'm asking God and I'm relying on him and I'm open to whether he tells me yes or no. But on the other hand, you have circles within the under the banner of Christianity today who will say well you just need to name it and claim it type of thing where you have to speak this into life and you need to speak this into existence so if you want that new car you need to say uh, I need I'll, I'm going to get a new car in Jesus's name or you know I'm going to get a, a new job in Jesus's name or in things like that, and they just they try to mix in this idea of speaking things into existence with the name of Jesus Christ, and man, it's just terrible, terrible eisegesis of of verses that are taken completely out of context and twisted, and it's bringing about these these teachings and these practices within the church that smell very much like occultism. In humanism, the ecumenical movement, for instance, they teach that, well, all roads lead to God. It, you know, it doesn't matter what religion you are, universalism, it doesn't matter what religion or belief you are, we all believe in the same God, so let's just join hands and sing Kumbaya, or whatever song you want to sing. And it's just, and all this has crept into circles that call themselves Christians, and that's why... And they call themselves the church. That's why it's, I, I really want to try to define what these different things are. Because if you consider Roman Catholics to be part of the church, occultism in the church goes back 2,000 years. Um, if you want to define uh, just the individual believers, if you want to define true believers as the, the body of Christ and the church, then we fall into sin like idolatry and witchcraft 
probably more than what we realize, and God considers it to be either idolatry or witchcraft. And so uh, that's a really the question there. I tried to answer it in in multiple levels and multiple layers there. So you can, if you consider this to be the church, then this is what my answer is. If you consider this uh, to be the church, then this is what my answer is. But if you want to look at American Christianity and people who claim to be Christians and people who just are under the banner of Christianity in our day and age, I would say uh, some of the more extreme uh, branches of the uh, charismatic movement in their their doctrines and their teachings and their practices, um, even down to the point where if you look at people who, who openly practice witchcraft in places like Africa and South America, um, people that still cut themselves and do these sacrifices to these other gods, they'll go into these like trans-like states where their body's convulsing and things like that, and you'll see that very thing within some charismatic Christian circles where they will fall on the ground and they'll go into a trans-like state where their body is convulsing and flopping around on the ground like a fish out of water. And to me, that just doesn't sit right with me at all because it looks just like witchcraft paganism. And I don't think you'll find anywhere in the Bible where the apostles or the early church were flopping around on the ground like fishes out of water. It just it 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 just really doesn't sit well with me to see these types of things um within what is called or what people claim to be the church and it really is taking over more and more people are falling into the charismatic um movement and they have more entertainment value they have better uh materialistic promises from behind the pulpit where they're talking about you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you know these types of things. So a lot of people flock to these congregations. And I'm not against um, health. <laughs> I'm not against wealth, and I'm not against wisdom. But I do believe that the way they go about teaching a person gets these things is, is wrong, and it, and it just really seems a lot like witchcraft to me. And when you see... Uh, <clears throat> The, as far as the entertainment and things like that goes, a lot of, I just can't help but feel that a lot of people are, they go and if, if they can't really, if their flesh and their emotions aren't stirred up during the music service and things like that, then they can't worship God or that was a dry service. And I get where they're coming from, but look, if you can't worship God like Paul and Silas did while shackled to a concrete or whatever wall or whatever it was in prison with no music and you can't sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord without the lights, without the bass, without this, without that, then your heart may not be in the right place and you may not really be worshiping God. You may just, matter of fact, be worshiping yourself. Anyway, that's uh, <laughs> that's my answer. I hope it was... It was good enough. <laughs> no, I definitely appreciate that. It was very comprehensive as well. You know, some things that I was thinking of when you were uh, just talking there was I definitely see, especially within the charismatic movement, and I'm not saying all charismatics are like this, so please don't uh, misunderstand what I'm going to say, but with a lot of what I see inside of some charismatic churches, with whether it's snake wrangling or it's 
supposedly speaking in tongues and saying these mantras over and over and over. I clearly see how this is an influence of like the the Hinduism has what's called the Kundalini spirit, which is like if you're familiar with the chakras and yoga and trying to just uh, open up each of these chakras. And then Buddhism with enlightenment. There's a lot of mantras that are involved in these Far Eastern religions. And I definitely see these as somewhat of a precursor or even a catalyst where in, in the end, before Christ returns and before the great apostasy, there's going to be such deception in the church. And this church is going to be deceived with lying wonders and signs. They're going to be held captive with doctrines of demons. And so I do see, again, when we're talking about demonic activity prior to Jesus's earthly ministry during and then prior to his return, I definitely see this as a possible catalyst or a precursor to the nearness and the imminence of the return of Christ. But as far as occultism is concerned, I want to talk a little bit more about like the secular side of occultism, or I wouldn't even say secular, but uh, away from the theistic side of it. Now, in the past, I, uh, when I was younger and before I was saved, I, I thought I was psychic. And I'll tell you why here, here in a little bit. But whenever I was driving, if I was coming up on a stoplight, for whatever reason, it seemed to me if I imagined the stoplight to change from green to yellow to red, I kid you not, the stoplight never changed to red. And I always made that green light. And so I, I call it a coincidence, whatever it is. It was just very weird. So talking a little bit about that, do you believe in extrasensory perception or do you believe in modern day psychics that they have this ability? Now, why or why not? Yeah, so I don't, I'll say this. I don't believe anybody has that kind of ability in and of themselves. Um, so the answer would be no. Uh, but I do believe that they have what the Bible refers to as a familiar spirit. Um, they basically, what that is, is they have a demon or an evil spirit uh, who observes and reports and manipulates people and situations around them to make it appear as if this person has this power. So the person doesn't really have an ability or power. What they have is a demon or a familiar spirit. All right, and that's a good segue into this next question. Like I said, I, it was very weird when I was younger. You see, I ended up going to see a psychic uh, when I guess I was a teen. Maybe I was a preteen, whatever the case was. I remember her name was Rose. It's funny that you had mentioned crystals because at the end of the session, she had mentioned that she believes I had the gift and she left me with some crystals. Uh some things that she said was, and I've never met this lady. I grew up in Maryland. This person was in uh, Pennsylvania. And she had known not only that I had an iguana, but that I had an iguana named Stussy. I've never met this lady. And far as I understand, no one told her anything about me. She also somehow knew that my grandfather was going to pass away very soon of prostate cancer. So it was very if you were creepy and eerie you mentioned a little bit about familiar spirits how do psychics actually gain knowledge as far as information on people they've never met how is this how is this knowledge obtained is there any sort of biblical uh, examples of this could you elaborate maybe on how rose knew some of the things and and why was she so adamant 
on me having this quote-unquote gift in trying to get me over to become possibly a psychic? Well, to answer the second part of that question first, it sounds to me like they were just trying to recruit you um, into their fold or into their ranks um, because that's that's the goal, to get more and more people involved in this demonic and evil practice. Um, just like the church, we want to see more people saved and come to Christ, and we want to see the church grow. Well, they, they want to see the same thing. And when I say they... Um, yeah, probably the people involved, but most definitely uh, the devil and his angels involved for sure. Now, I will say this. So back to my point from the last question. Basically, these familiar spirits that these so-called mediums have and these so-called psychics have, um, these familiar spirits, their job basically is to observe and report. They are... They are intelligent beings who are able to communicate, who are able to think. They're probably, or more than likely, far more intelligent than, than we are. And they're far more capable than we are. Now, when you asked, like, how would she have known that your grandfather was going to die of prostate cancer? Well, if you look at demons and these familiar spirits as intelligent beings like you and I that are invisible that we can't see usually, then it becomes really easy to understand. For instance, how does, how does information transferred from one person to another? Through words. And you hear the words that are said, and you have, you have been given information by somebody else who had that knowledge. And so, like, for instance, if you were going to go, if the other day, um, me, and, me and my boss, we take two opposite ways home from work. And... Before the end of the day, I had went, I got on the interstate to go make a make a delivery, and I went the direction that he normally takes home from work, and there was a, a traffic jam, and it went back like eight miles, and it was really, really bad. It was a wreck. It was terrible. So what I did, since it was close to time to go, whenever I made it back to the shop, I went in there, and I told my boss, hey, don't go that way because there's a traffic jam. So I had knowledge that he did not have that I had gained from observation. And I simply gave him that knowledge. He took my word for it, and he went a different way home. Now, if a demon were to do something like that, you just take away the fact that you can't see a demon, and all of a sudden it looks like this person has powers. For instance, if my boss were to just been, have been told this by a demon, then it would look like he had some kind of supernatural psychic ability. Well, I'm going to avoid that way because there's a wreck that way. Well, how do you know? How did they? Because <laughs> he was told. Okay, and that nobody knows anything. <laughs> Unless they're told. They don't have some kind of supernatural power, even though it appears to be that way. So this the fact that you had an iguana and the fact that the your iguana had a specific name. What was it? Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It was Stussy. Yeah, very weird and uncommon name. It was actually a skater brand. Yeah, so Stussy. If I knew you had an iguana named Stussy, and then I went and I was like, I was talking to you about... You know, to, to to for instance, to my wife, and I said, "Yeah, you know, Daniel, he has an iguana named Stussy." And then, you know, a month later or whatever, you, you know, she's talking to somebody or talking to maybe Rebecca or something, and they're like, "Oh yeah, uh, Daniel has an iguana named Stussy." Well, how do you know that? Because I told her because I had that information. But it's it's not miraculous when it's human interaction because. 
we understand how information is circulated amongst people. But when you take and you factor in the fact that these demons are invisible and we're not usually uh, aware of their presence or the, how they're manipulating and communicating, it all of a sudden appears to be supernatural, or not supernatural, but appears to be some kind of amazing feat when it's really, it's not. It's not at all. They're just communicating with these people who have, you know, who are able to listen or have opened themselves up to have thoughts implanted and put there by these spiritual entities. So that's that's why this lady knew that you're, the name of your iguana. That's why uh, she knew that your grandfather had prostate cancer because she was told that from something who had that knowledge. She was given that information by something, and what she was it was given to her according to the Bible and how these things work is she was given that information by a familiar spirit um, now another aspect of this is when they try to make predictions of the future. This is where it gets more tricky so usually psychics <coughs> who who truly have a familiar spirit they'll get information that is present and current pretty accurate. She did not know for sure that your grandfather was going to die of prostate cancer, but she could have had a a good guess that he was going to die from prostate cancer. Now, if if he would have had prostate cancer and lived, you still might consider that to be pretty amazing, the fact that she knew that he had prostate cancer. But she would have gotten the prediction wrong, and that happens all the time with these psychics. They get things wrong all the time. And the reason why is because they truly don't have the power to accurately predict the future. Now, just like a weatherman, they can tell you the probability of the future. Yeah, it's probably going to rain tomorrow or it's probably going to be cold tomorrow. But they can't guarantee that because they don't truly know the future. And it's the same thing with these demons. They don't truly know the future, but they can make an educated and well-informed guess and not only that but they can also manipulate situations to try to bring about the prediction in order to give credibility to the psychic so if i were if they were to come to you in in if say i was a psychic and i would say all right danny tomorrow you're going to get a flat tire on your way to work or whatever so be careful and drive slow they can manipulate situations and circumstances to try to get you to have a flat tire. Um, anyway, it just goes, there's so many different aspects of this. It's just like anything else. If you can do it, if I can trick you into thinking that I was a psychic, then so can a demon. So if I were to say, yeah, you're going to get a flat tire tomorrow or whatever, and then I know where you live or whatever, and I go and I let the air out of your tire or I stick a nail in it, you know, I just manipulated the situation to make my prediction come true, and you were none the wiser. And and so that's how I believe that these things come about, and I believe that's how they predict or, quote, try to predict the future. They manipulate situations, and they go off the knowledge that they have. Anyway. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, do you know of any passages in the Bible that have occultic references or examples? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, 
I'll I'll say this that occultic references and examples are found throughout the Bible, um, from all the warnings from God against witchcraft um, and those types of practices, all the way up to the the time where Saul consulted the witch of Endor and tried to contact uh, Samuel from the dead, um, all the way from from that to the very end of the book in the book of Revelation where it's talking about sorcery and drug use uh, rather in the book of, of Revelation. So there are multiple examples, scripturally speaking, uh, about these things. Now, you had sent me a couple and I wanted to go ahead and read them. Uh, Leviticus, let's see, Leviticus 19, verse 31. <clears throat> It says, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Uh, chapter 20, verse 6. It says, And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a-whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. And then Malachi 3, 5. Malachi 3.5 says, And I will come near to you in judgment, and I will be swift, a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hirelings in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and them, or in that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. Um, you have multiple warnings in the Bible about people who practice such things. And... You'll find it through through the Bible where people do. Uh, when you, I think of the Book of Daniel often. In Babylon, they were they relied on that type of thing, and with the astrologers and the the so-called wise men and interpreters of visions and dreams. So yeah, it's throughout the entire Bible. You can find it um, in multiple places for sure. Awesome, thanks. Isaiah eight nineteen seems to imply that one might be able to speak to the dead. I'm going to read it. Uh, could you elaborate on that verse, maybe the context, uh, what, what that verse actually is meaning? And Isaiah 8:19 simply says, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? What is that really talking about? Do Christians have the ability to talk to the dead or not? Yeah, so when I first read this verse, and I thought about your question, um, the first thing is that I noticed is that the verse here does not say that it is possible to communicate with the dead. It simply speaks about those going about seeking to do so. Most of the time, when a person seeks to speak to the dead... They will actually speak to a demon that's masquerading as a deceased person. That's not really the spirit of their grandmother or their grandfather, but it's a demon who knew what their grandmother and grandfather looked like, and they manifest themselves to this person in that form and speak to them as the as this deceased person. You cannot communicate to the dead like that. And, there, and when I say most of the time, it's a demon masquerading as a deceased person. The reason I say most of the time is because there's one example 
uh, and that goes to the story where Saul consulted the witch of Endor. When the witch and Saul were both kind of surprised that, that Samuel actually showed up. And it wasn't the familiar spirit. It was actually Samuel who showed up. So that's why I say most of the time. Because there is one example where God allowed Samuel to come and speak and do what he did in that story. So, no, the answer is a person you cannot truly speak to the dead. Um, you can attempt to, you can seek to, but all you're going to get on the other line is a demon. That's it. And instead of seeking to speak to the dead, you should, you and I should sp seek to speak unto God. And that's why I really think that this is saying is don't seek after that kind of thing, but seek after God. Wonderful. Thanks, man. You see, you had, you had briefly mentioned this uh, already, but in the book of Daniel, there's common references to... Uh, the Magi, if you will, astrologers and dream interpreters. Uh, you see these people very heavy in not only in Nebuchadnezzar's reign, but also in Belshazzar's reign. Could you explain what an astrologer is and whether that practice is legitimate or not? Yeah, so the difference between an astrologer and an astronomer is an astronomer simply studies the stars. An astrologer seeks to practice, and they practice some type of fortune-telling through the astrological signs or the signs of the zodiac or whatever they want to call it. And they try to in, in, to predict the future of an individual or group of individuals or this or that. Anyway, it doesn't matter who they're, who, the, who they're trying to predict the future for. The fact is they're trying to use the stars and the signs to predict the future. And the answer, my answer, is that it is not legitimate at all. Um, Isaiah... Forty-seven, Isaiah 47, verses 13 through 15 says this, Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they shall be as stubble, the fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. Thus shall they be unto thee, with whom thou hast labored, even thy merchants from thy youth. They shall wander every one to his quarter. None shall save thee. So it doesn't have anything good <laughs> to say about these. Uh, it's the same thing you're trying to goes back to that that definition that we got from BibleStudy.org. They are trying to gain supernatural knowledge apart from the Creator God by looking into these stars. And most of the time, it's just a parlor trick. When you go to the gas station or you go to the grocery store and you see those little horoscope books and things like that, they they sound a lot like fortune cookies. Like, hey, this month, your boss is going to be a grouch. Okay, like you know what? The chances of him being a grouch are pretty good because most people who are going to work early in the morning – the chances are you're going to come across your boss one day and he's going to be in a grouchy mood. And since you read that at the gas station or at the grocery store standing in the checkout line, a lot of people fall into the whole trap of, oh, I read that in that little book at the grocery store and I'm a Capricorn. That's exactly what it said was going to happen. It's a cheap, 
<laughs> it's a cheap parlor trick, man. It's it's uh anyway, it, it I I don't I don't think it's legit in the slightest. When you look at the story of Daniel, I, I man, I really love the the beginning of the book of Daniel. I I, I love the fact that no none of the astrologers, none of the wise men, none of none of these guys were able to interpret the dream and the king got mad. He's like, I'm gonna chop you up into little bitty pieces. Y'all are all done for. Cause they've been exposed. It was fake. It wasn't real. They had no power to interpret this dream in or anything because they truly didn't have any power. And then here comes Daniel. And he says, there is a God in heaven who's able to do this. And that's my God. And, and man, it's just a powerful testimony that true knowledge and true power and all of these, these, the ability to see the future and all that only comes from God because he only knows the future. Nobody else knows. I don't know the future other than what God's told me in the Bible. And you don't know the future. None of these demons know the future. Only God knows. And only God has the power. And matter of fact, he has the ultimate power. So even though demons and things like that, they can manipulate situations. If God doesn't allow them to, they can't do it. So they don't have any power given to them or they don't have any power unless God allows them to do it. So they still have to answer to the ultimate authority, which is God. And so, I, yeah, it's completely Ill illegitimate, man. It's. Uh, anyway, I, I really like the story of Daniel. I encourage y'all to go and read the first few chapters of the book of Daniel and see how all these astrologers and these soothsayers and all these so-called diviners and all that, how they stack up to the one true God. Yeah, like I, I tend to say, and you people have probably heard it in a couple episodes of mine, if I could have any one book to witness to a skeptic or an atheist... I know a lot of people would zero in on John because it's probably the most evangelistic. I actually would zero in on the book of Daniel because it's so prophetic. Even the Maccabean theory, which tries to teach that the book of Daniel was written in the 2nd century B.C., has a lot of holes in it. Archaeology shows that it's a 6th century writing, and it's not a pseudepigraphical writing of Daniel. So Daniel is an amazing person of history. So amazing things were done from him. And, and little known fact is... There was never, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's never anything negative written about the prophet Daniel. And so he's just an amazing person to just study. And I do believe that he is a type of Christ as well. So next question, you talked a little bit about horoscopes and fortune telling. Now, I enjoy going to Chinese restaurants. I love to get me some uh, sesame chicken with the sauce and always got to get me two egg rolls and everything. But I love at the end because... They got the little fortune cookies and everything. It's just funny. Do you think there's any harm in fortune fortune cookies or horoscopes? All right. As far as fortune cookies, I'm going to separate them from horoscopes for a minute. Um, a fortune cookie, I don't think there's anything wrong in opening a fortune cookie and looking at it and it's telling you, uh, yeah, tomorrow you're going to have a good hair day or, hey, yeah, you know, you know, the, he who travels the road da, 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 and gives you this very generic, maybe Chinese proverb or whatever. It's whatever. If you're not looking into that fortune cookie as being some kind of like legitimate guide for your life, it, as long as you're not living and making decisions based on this little piece of crumpled up paper inside of a stale cookie, then there's no problem. If it's just like, oh, you're looking at it. Oh, that's neat or whatever. 
it is what it is. Now, I'm not condoning fortune cookies. I'm not, you know, I know there's going to be people out there who be like, oh, how is he a pastor and he's okay with fortune cookies? Look, a fortune cookie is a fortune cookie. It, it, it's what you make of it. If you think that it's true and you think that this has some kind of power or whatever, then you probably ought to stay away from the Chinese restaurant. Because if, if you're if you're if you're at that point spiritually where you can't open up a fortune cookie without it guiding you or shaping the decisions and course of your life, then you have no business reading a fortune cookie. Um, but I, I I know there's people out there who struggle with that, and maybe there are people who read the fortune cookie and think that there's something to it. But I just don't really think that it's very many people. I don't think many people put much stake into the fortune cookie i could be wrong if there are people like that i don't know of any um but i'm sure there are and and so when it comes to that yeah there is a danger because you can let it guide and manipulate your life and that's to me it's senseless and you don't want a piece of paper inside of a cookie helping you make your decisions in life um you should probably open up the Bible and allow God to help you make your decisions. Now, as far as horoscopes, now this is more serious to me because more people genuinely believe that horoscopes, that there's something to it. And they fall into reading the horoscopes and, and you know, I need to watch out. I need to not, I need to avoid this kind of person. I need to avoid that kind of person um, because it's the month of May. And during the month of May, these these certain people that were born under this sign, man, they're really whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it, to me, when you start when you start making and allowing these things to shape your life, you're you're open yourself you're opening yourself up to manipulation from demons and spirits, and they can manipulate and use fear and use these these horoscopes these fortunes to manipulate you into going a course in making decisions in your life that is not according to the will of god whatever happened to trust god whatever happening to trusting in the lord with all your heart and leaning not into your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledging him but instead what they're doing is they're not trusting in the lord they're trusting in a horoscope with all their heart they're leaning unto their own understanding and, and they're not acknowledging God in their ways. They're acknowledging a generic horoscope, and they're basing life decisions, relationship decisions, work decisions, financial decisions, health decisions on some stuff written in a book that has no truth or legitimacy to it at all. And th those are just the books on the shelves. If you were to go to in a, a modern-day astrologer who reads the stars and finds your sign and then is a kind of like a palm reader and tells you what to avoid and what they see in the stars and all that then you're really opening yourself up to demonic influence and when you open yourself up to those types of things you have to understand that those demons they do not have your best interest at heart they don't want you to be successful in life. They don't want you to have successful relationships. They don't want you to be healthy. They don't want you to make the right decisions that, is, that are according to God's word. 
They want to completely destroy your life, and ultimately, they want to take your life. So yeah, there is a very real danger in taking advice or guidance from something that has its roots in demonic spirits, because that information and that guidance only leads to destruction, and ultimately, they try to lead you to an early grave. Excellent. I, I got to say that one thing, my fortune cookies aren't ever stale. <laughs> They're actually quite good. I really <laughs> like those sugar cookies and everything, but I do love your explanation about the being weary of legalism with, you know, fortune cookies and being able to have Christian freedom. But again, if somebody feels convicted in their heart that it's wrong, then by all means, make sure you don't do it. But if somebody just thinks they're just, you know, interesting and they're just cutesy or whatever the case is, as long as you know that that is not legitimate and that uh, all truth comes from God, you know, I, I personally, I'm with you. There's Christian freedom that's tied into that. You already mentioned a little bit about sorcery. Uh, one thing, and you mentioned the pharmacia aspect, but we see in scripture that God issues very stern warnings against practicing witchcraft, mediums, sorcery, fortune telling it. And like I said before, in the past, before I got saved, I was actually into some really uh, occultic stuff. I used to play with Ouija boards. I uh, used to go uh, ghost hunting, if you will, did a lot of urban legends. And man, I, I know we've talked about this offline before, but I've got a lot of stories that I could tell about experiences. And it is very eerie. You know, since then and since coming to Christ, I have, you know, completely shunned all forms of being curious within the demonic paranormal and everything. But could you elaborate on why God gives such stern warnings against practicing or even just being curious and interested in witchcraft, medium, sorcery, and fortune telling? Yeah, absolutely. Um, usually, and I say usually because I don't know every single time God warns about this in the Bible, but every time that I can think of that God warns against this, he is warning his people, whether it's the church or under the new covenant or whether it was his people uh, Israel in the old under the old covenant in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, he was warning his people, and the reason why is because God wants us to seek Him and allow Him to guide and rule our life, rather than to seek the these familiar spirits and be influenced and follow these demons in our life and, and be guided through our life by them. Now, not only God doesn't just warn us about these things because he's a jealous God, which we know he is, but he's warning us. Usually when God gives us a warning, it's not because he doesn't want you to have fun. It's not because he doesn't want you. He's trying to uh, keep you from something that you, that you need or anything else. That Really, that kind of thinking goes all the way back to Satan in the Garden of Eden. He told Eve, oh yeah, God warns you about this tree because he just doesn't want you to have the knowledge of good and evil because then you'll be like him, and he doesn't want that. And so so he, that lie has been there for a long time. God does not warn us against these things because he doesn't want us to gain something. He warns us because he's trying to keep us safe and away from harm or danger. And that goes back to the point that I just made. These demons and the devil, they do not care about you and I at all. They want to kill you 
They want to destroy your life. They want, they hate everything about you because you're created in the image of God. Not only are you created in the image of God, but if you're a Christian, then you belong to him. You're part of his family. And so he he hates you with a even deeper passion. And his demons hate you and I with a deeper passion because we are the children of God. And so, yeah, the, the warnings are there to keep us safe from harm, from the devil trying to manipulate us into making the decisions that will either could destroy our marriage, they can destroy our job, our career, they can destroy our health. They, you know, all these things, they, God warns us because you don't want to be led and guided by the serpent in the garden because we all know where that leads. And he, he ultimately, he wants you to lead down, a, lead you down a path that ends in your, with your demise. Uh, staying a little bit into this type of aspect, this next question, there's been a lot of focus on UFOs in the past decade. And really in America, I would really tie the UFO focus mainly around the end of World War II, which interesting, interestingly enough has to deal with Operation Paperclip and granting amnesty to German and uh, other uh, scientists and engineers and things like that. But a lot of the focus as of late has been on aliens and extraterrestrials and things like that and messages. Why do you believe the UFO focus has been increasing? And what do you say to somebody or do you believe that alien abductions, alien encounters are are real? And if not, what could they possibly be? Well, as far as your question is, are UFOs um, and alien abductions, are, are they real? Are UFOs real? I think that there is a possibility that our government or another government in the world has a technology for a specific type of craft. Um, these flying saucers who kind of defy the physical laws of gravity and they're able to um, just the propulsion and everything just goes against everything that we supposedly know about physics. Um, I believe that there's a possibility that there there is technology out there that is just hidden by our government and that there's some type of either surveillance or um, weapon type of craft. Um, now, when you're looking at extraterrestrials and uh, alien abductions and things like that, are they real? Are they not? I can't say for sure because I've never, A, I've never seen a UFO. Uh, B, I've never been abducted, or have I ever seen an alien. All I have to go by are other people's accounts. So I, I can't say for sure one way or the other, but there's a lot of evidence that suggests that these people are actually having true and genuine encounters with these entities. Now, when you talk about extraterrestrials, most people, when they see that word extraterrestrial, they think um, an, a life form from another planet, uh, or, or or some type of humanoid form from another planet. Extraterrestrial just means anything that's outside of Earth. So by that definition, extraterrestrial, anything outside of Earth is an extraterrestrial. 
no matter what creature it is. So all the heavenly creatures that you read about in the Bible, you could technically classify them as being extraterrestrial because they're not of this planet. They are not of earth. God himself is not of earth. So in the strictest definition, you can define anything that's not of earth as extraterrestrial. But in most people's mind, the word extraterrestrial means a humanoid life form from another planet, and that's how they define it. Um, these encounters that they're having, if you, it's really interesting. If you go and study, uh, I, I encourage everybody to look this up. Uh, maybe Google it or look it up on YouTube. But look up abduct, alien abduction and then type in Jesus' name. Uh, not just type in the phrase Jesus' name. And what you'll find is that a lot of research has found that when these people are having these experiences of being abducted by aliens, that the only the only accounts of these abduction uh, experiences stopping dead in their tracks is when a person calls upon the name of Jesus Christ. There have been multiple accounts where the people will cry out in the name of Jesus and they'll say, as soon as I called on the name of Jesus, the entire experience stopped and I was back home in my bed. It stopped immediately. And I find that very interesting. I find that intriguing. I've, I feel like the evidence leans towards these so-called extraterrestrials and these these uh, aliens or whatever you want to call them I, I feel like the evidence and the research points to them being fallen angels um, demons evil spirits one and the same now if you look and there's a there there are plenty of Christian uh, when I say Christian I mean like genuinely Christian documentaries that you can find on YouTube but you need to look them up while they're still there YouTube's trying to censor a whole bunch of stuff but if you go on there right now, you I think you should still be able to find these documentaries where they'll go into talking about the links between so-called aliens and demons and how demons have manifested uh, and appeared and harassed people throughout the, the throughout human history. And they appear and they take the shape and form of whatever popular culture pictures these types of creatures to be and so if you if you were to go back in the dark ages demons manifested themselves as these, as these like little imp like creatures and things like that and now you haven't you're having these manifestations of these creatures who look like gray aliens and things like that so i believe they just take the guise of whatever is popular in the culture at the time like if you go back to Greek philosophy, uh, Greek days and stuff like that, they appeared to people as being these gods from other planets. Oh, I'm the god of Jupiter. I'm the god of Saturn. I'm the god of this. I'm the god of that. And I believe that these entities truly appeared to people and lied to them and deceived them. And they worshipped uh, these entities that appeared to them and lied to them and told them, well, I'm from this and I'm from there. I'm from that, whatever. And... uh is it, and I think you'll find the stories like that in the Bible. I, I believe they tried to worship uh, Paul as as a, as a god back then because he was bit by a snake. I, I believe this is the story. He was bit by a snake and he lived. He didn't die. And so they, they, they thought that he was like this Greek god or something. And I, I, that's what I, I believe to be the case. I believe that these 
extraterrestrials or so-called extraterrestrials today. Um, I just believe that if there's any legitimacy to these accounts at all, that, that I don't believe that they're life from other planets. I believe that they are spiritual entities um, that we call demons and uh, fallen angels is what I believe they are. Awesome. Thanks. That was pretty elaborate and comprehensive again. Uh, you've touched on this question a little bit, you know, here and there uh, throughout the podcast, but could you really do like a cumulative explanation on how demons factor into occult theology? Yeah, absolutely. There's a scripture that I want to look up real quick. Um, <laughs> I can hear that you're a, a computer scripture <laughs> looker-upper as opposed to a hard copy Bible. Or goes, man. <laughs> Let's see. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, Paul writing to Timothy and giving him a him and us a prophetic warning it says now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils so yeah um the question do demons factor into into the occult theology absolutely and it also into the theology that you see creeping into the church today um, in the certain certain specific charismatic circles, um, not all, certain ones, and uh, especially the type of universalism and ecumenical movement type of things. So the doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. Now, I'm not just saying like, okay, if, you, if you're wrong about a certain doctrine, that that's automatically a doctrine of a demon or uh, that you've given heed to a seducing spirit. Um me personally, I believe that these types of doctrines of demons and seducing spirits, I, as far as within the realm of Christian theology is concerned, I believe that any and all heresy is this these doctrines of demons um, from denying the deity of Christ, um, believing that he was just a man or that he was a prophet. Um, for instance, the the angel of light that appeared to Muhammad and told him all that stuff about Jesus that's inaccurate and untrue, he gave heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons or doctrines of devils. And and so and that's because everything that was told to him by this so called angel of light was a, it was all heretical. Um from denying the virgin birth to denying the fact that he died on the cross. Um, all of these things are doctrines of demons and people that have given heed to seducing spirits. And I really believe um, Muhammad is one of the greatest examples historically that we can point to and prove and demonstrate biblically that he gave heed to seducing a seducing spirit and a doctrine of the devil. Because the Bible tells us and warns us that 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 the devil himself can manifest or appear as an angel of light and that's exactly what muhammad described appeared to him in that cave and told him all this stuff and so it to me it it's a very clear case where we can point and say this is exactly what the bible warned us about and this guy who started this this uh modern religion and, and all these teachings and these her heresies of concerning Jesus Christ, all this stuff was given to him by an, what he describes as an angel of light. 
You know, it's quite interesting because, like you were saying, they come in, they want to uh, defraud Jesus of his divinity. They want to teach some sort of a universalist message or some message of salvation contrary to what Christ preached. And you also see that, too, with Mormonism, because even Joseph Smith claims that depending on what version, translation, what year you actually read in the Book of Mormon, it was either A, the angel Moroni, or B, the prophet uh, Nephi, I think it was, that actually revealed to him uh, the golden plates and everything. And so, just like Islam, uh, Mormonism ties into really the same reception of this hidden knowledge or this building of a false religion. And again, they both attack the deity of Christ and the true way of salvation and the gospel message of Jesus. So, Really near in the end of it, what do you could you explain why occultism is such a dangerous view? I mean, what's what's really so bad about trying to gain hidden knowledge? Well, doctrinally speaking, uh, I think it we've touched on it to a point where the listener, if, if they've been paying attention, it's obvious um, doctrinally speaking because you're going to have a false gospel, uh, a false Jesus. And if a person believes and trusts in this false Jesus or this false gospel without ever being truly saved and believing in the true Christ, in the true gospel, when they die, they're going to be eternally lost in hell and then uh, following that in the lake of fire. And so, I, yeah, it's very dangerous. It's eternally dangerous, doctrinally speaking, to, to follow these doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. So occultism... Um, as far as occultic theology is concerned, doctrinally speaking, what they teach about Jesus. And it's not just in the church. Like you said, it's in these cults. But even these people who claim to speak as they're inhabited by uh, either a deceased loved one or they're inhabited by an alien from outer space, an extraterrestrial. If you go, and I'm not encouraging people to go and look, the, don't look this stuff up if you're not strong in your faith and you don't know the Bible and you're not well grounded because there's just a danger in even looking this stuff up because you could potentially be led astray. But if you're if you know the Bible, you know what you believe. You're confident. You're you're somewhat mature. You're somewhat grown uh, in Christ a little bit. If you look this stuff up, all these people who claim to speak either for the dead or for an alien or for this or for that, whenever they're asked about Jesus Christ, which is funny, they don't talk about Muhammad, they don't talk about Buddha very often, it's always about Jesus. And it's always, always, always attacking his deity, attacking the gospel, and all this. So it's not just in the church. These people who claim to have these powers are speaking on Jesus and saying either he was an alien or an extraterrestrial who came to just teach us the way of love or or that everybody can become a Christ or all this garbage and mumbo jumbo. If it's not in the Bible, <laughs> if it's not in the Bible, then you don't give it any heed. Don't give heed to seducing spirits. Don't give heed to familiar spirits. Don't give heed to any of that stuff. Go to the Bible and what it says about Jesus. Now, that's doctrinally speaking, the teachings and, and things. But the other aspect 
is when you when you're involved in occultism, if you dabble in it, if you play around with it, and if you're a Christian and you're listening here today, I don't just take it for granted that okay, uh, you're a Christian, so there's no way that you would ever practice witchcraft. Okay, you're a Christian, there's no way that you would play with the Ouija board. Oh, you're a Christian, there's no way that you would be into palm reading or horoscopes or psychics or anything like that or astrology. I don't take any of that for granted because in Galatians five, it was Christians who were warned about the works of the flesh, and one of those works was witchcraft. So I don't take it for granted and just assume that all of the Christian audience and all of the Christian listeners will would never do such a thing. Um, I'm not I'm not ignorant enough to believe that kind of thing. So if you're a Christian today, and you've either thought about it, you've entertained the idea, or you've actually dabbled or are currently dabbling in witchcraft or occultism, I am begging you to stop. It, there's so many consequences involved. You are allowing demonic spirits around you and into your life and into your home and around your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. And they are malicious spirits. They don't want to give you power. They don't want to give you knowledge. They will give you these little bitty things here and there to keep you satisfied into where you're not going to expel their company from your life by praying to God and and, and turning and getting rid of all that stuff out of your life. They are only seeking to destroy your relationships, your health, your mental well-being, your spiritual well-being, and ultimately they want to kill you. They are murderous malicious spirits who want to see you literally die and they want they want to kill you they want to take your life it is very dangerous so any christian if you're an unbeliever and you're dabbling with this stuff these 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 spirits these creatures they don't care about you they want to kill you they hate you <laughs> with a passion it's <clears throat> Knowing, like I said, my experience and everything, uh, dealing with some of this uh, paranormal activity things, it was never friendly. Uh, it always sent, had a sense of malevolence with it, and it took a long time before I could finally get it, you know, just away from me. And so I would encourage anybody that, again, like you said, if you're wrapped up into occultism, even if you're watching like paranormal shows, ghost hunters, uh, even studying... Uh, the doctrines of Satanology and demonology is pretty intense. I remember when I was ready to teach on, uh, I think it was just, no, actually it was Satanology. And so I was, took, you know, a couple weeks to actually study Satanology in depth. And it got to the point where I ended up breaking down uh, in front of my wife because I would keep hearing voices in my head as I'm driving to drive onto oncoming traffic or to drive off a cliff. Or just little things like that, which if I was a very impulsive person, uh, I could have actually ended my life because of just the demonic influences. So if you are wrapped up into the occult, you know, like Brother Russ said, you need to get out. You need to get out now because they are not friendly. They are not here uh, to make your life better. Although if they can, if these individuals, if these spirits can give you a million dollars just to keep you away from God and salvation... They're going to make sure that you're living a life of prosperity because their ultimate goal is to be an affront to God 
into the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So if one of the ways they can do that towards you is to keep you away from the gospel of salvation, then by all means, that's what they're going to do. But if you are a Christian and you are eternally secure and you're still wrapped up into this, you need to get out now because they are after you. There's a target on your back. And like you said, Russ, it's even a matter of just deception into doctrines of demons as well. And when the great apostasy happens prior to the return of Christ, we're going to see this rise more and more. So, uh, Russ, last question. Do you have any final words regarding the occultism or anything that you'd like to share or anything that uh, we didn't cover over this interview? Well, my I guess my final words would kind of tie into what we were just talking about. Um, you know, we don't want this show to end on a note where we were talking about the occult and demons and things like that without talking about the name of Jesus Christ because in the gospel because that is the most important thing. Like we can talk about these things and we can warn people and and read the scriptures and talk about this topic, but I wouldn't feel right leaving the show today without at the very end concluding all of this by pointing everyone who's listening to Jesus Christ. You see, those demons, all of those things that we talked about today, they hate you. They hate everything about you. They want to kill you and destroy you. But Jesus Christ genuinely and deeply loves and cares about you more than anyone ever could. And he came and he died on the cross for your sin. And he rose again from the dead. If you would simply believe that and trust in Jesus Christ, he will give you eternal life and you'll never perish. You won't have to spend eternity elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of uh, of demons and things like that. The, the devil, the Bible was, says that the that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. He's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want you to die and be cast into a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. He wants you to be with him for eternity. He loves you. He died on the cross for you, for your sin. And and so I, I just want to end by saying that. That even though the occult, it's out there, it's a very real thing. Um, you know, we want to take the approach like the Bible does. The Bible does talk about these things. It's not silent about these things. But the Bible talks far more about Jesus Christ than it does the occult. And that we want to have that same kind of balance in our own life. And any time that we talk about this thing, we want to we want to keep pointing people to Jesus Christ. We want to point people to the light. We want to point people to God. So that's what I wanted to end it with. Amen. Coming straight from the heart of a pastor. So uh, if you'd like to have more information about just this topic, the occultism, uh, how it rose, the occultism within Christianity or in America, I would recommend a book by the, by the late Dr. Walter Martin uh, called Kingdom of the Occult. He writes on a lot of different uh, topics, but some of them are ancient paganism, psychics, astrologers, UFOs. If you're familiar with what's called the Kabbalah, he also talks about demonic possessions and exorcisms. And throughout the book, it's probably about a four or 500 page book that I have. He has a lot of personal case studies and experiences that he personally went through. So if you want to learn a little bit more about that, feel free to check out his book. His descript the Amazon link for the book is going to be in the description of this episode. Also, I want to thank you, Russ, for being here again. Uh, if you haven't yet already, check out the brand Dialogues over there on uh, CastBox. As well, if you're in the Mansfield, Louisiana area, go ahead and check out his church at Carmel Baptist. Uh, if you have any ideas for a future discussion interview, 
uh, let me know. Shoot me an email. You can put it in the comment section. If you'd like to be considered for a future opportunity to be a guest on the show, don't hesitate. Send me an email at c4capologetics at gmail.com. Let me know what your ideas are. Obviously, I want to talk about a little bit about the background of you, the theology, and what you believe as far as the doctrines of Christ and how salvation is earned, because really the heart of this ministry is to get the truth of the scripture, the gospel of Christ, out to a lost and dying world. So Russ, again, I appreciate you for your willingness and your desire to be on the show. I pray the best for you, your family, your church, your ministry, and uh, everybody checking in. I thank you for listening. Till next time, God bless. Thanks for listening. We pray this ministry glorifies God and edifies you, the listener. For more great content, including videos, blogs, newsletters, and a free ebook, check out our website at c4capologetics.weebly.com. You can also email us at c4capologetics at gmail.com with questions or ideas for future episodes. We truly appreciate you. Please like, share, and comment on this episode, and don't forget to subscribe for future episode notifications. Thanks for checking in, and remember to be bold and keep contending for Christ.